Welcome to Combo's Court. Welcome to Combo's Court. You know what it is. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 326 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into the show. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating, a friendly comment, and punch down on the follow button. Today's show scout for the LA Clippers, Dave Severns, joins in to talk coaching, skill development, the evolution of Chris Paul, and more. You can find Dave on Twitter at Dave underscore Severns. That's D-A-V-E underscore S-E-V-E-R-N-S. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O. C-O-M-B-O. You could catch me on Twitter at Combos Court. You could catch me on Twitter at Combos Court. Same name as the podcast. That's C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. of the LA Clippers. He is a pro personnel scout for the Clippers. Welcome to Combos Court. How are you feeling today? I'm doing good, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Anytime, Dave. Anytime, Dave. Um, walk us through your journey of coaching ninth grade basketball all the way up to the NBA level. I got, I got into coaching kind of as a fluke. You know, I kind of knew I'd always wanted to be a teacher uh, in high school. Um, but as soon as my playing career, which was... <laughs> which was not spectacular. I, I was a very, very below average player at a division two school in California. Uh, I got approached by the head coach to, uh, to coach a ninth grade team in the town, freshman boys basketball. And, you know, and I, and I, uh, at, at that point, you know, I took the job not knowing really, you know, what I was getting into because I was so unprepared. Uh, I, know, I didn't know anything about coaching um at all but they needed somebody and you know I was available and I took the job and after that first season of coaching I was really young I was 22 maybe and I knew that that's what I wanted to do you know as a career and all I really ever wanted to do was be like a high school varsity coach uh with maybe you know the possibility of being a junior college coach someday in California so that's kind of how it started and then uh you know, I, I spent a couple of years at that level and a couple, two or three years at the JV level um, before I got my first chance to be a head varsity coach. So that that's kind of how it started. And then I stayed uh, stayed at the varsity level as head coach for nine years. And, and, and I was, you know, a high school teacher at the same time, you know, and like most most of us young coaches starting out, we coach like two or three sports every year. You know, I coached everything from from freshman football, water polo, uh, baseball. I mean, tennis. You know, that was back in the day when you needed money. You know, you're you're, you know, and those extra stipends really came in handy for a young coach. You know, with the with a young family. So, and most of my contemporaries at the time were doing the same thing. 
so that's that's kind of how it started for me and I, my first 15 years or so were, were at the high school level and how many years did you spend at the NBA level can you walk us through that well uh, you know there there was a lot of time in between there before I got to the NBA I, I'm sort of different than most people that got into the NBA I didn't get my first NBA job till I was 50 okay so I had, I had spent 25 years, you know, as a, as a teacher and coaching in high school and junior, junior college assistant, division two assistant and a division one video coordinator um, before I even got to the NBA. Uh, and it was kind of a fluke. I, I never really that was never really a goal of mine uh, to get into the NBA. But I, I was I got the opportunity uh, when I was 50. Uh, and I, I was working, I was spending my summer times in Chicago working for a guy named Tim Grober. I've read all his books and I used to work out with his philosophies and his workout methods. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's one of the best, not only basketball people, but just all around, you know, good guys that I've ever been around. Just probably one of the smartest guys I've ever been around. And he gave me the opportunity to spend, spend the summers uh, working with his clients at Attack Athletics. I think I was there three three to four summers uh, before I got the opportunity to go with the Bulls. Uh, but th those three to four years with Tim, you know, really got me interested in working with professionals, you know, being around all the great players that he had at his gym uh, really piqued my interest in. And I didn't go looking for a job in the NBA, but when it came, the opportunity came, I, I felt that my work with him and his players had kind of prepared me for, I mean, you're never really totally prepared for the NBA because <laughs> you know, there's so many, so many things about it that people really don't understand until they're in it. But yeah. I felt I was somewhat prepared uh, because of the work that I had done with him. What do you feel was the most important thing in terms of mindset or player development that you learned from Tim? Uh, telling, telling players the truth being able to have honest conversations with players and telling them the truth and uh, not being afraid, um, you know, to, to, you know, there at times when you tell them the truth, you know, maybe they're going to get their feelings hurt or, you know, rub them the wrong way a little bit, but at the end of, at the end of it, you know, I think they're going to appreciate your honesty. So the biggest thing I learned from him was, was being able to tell players the truth, be honest with them. And then the attention to detail that, that professionals, at that level really have, you know, that I never really thought about much uh, at the college or the high school level, but the attention to detail in the workouts and uh, just the way the, uh, the professional approach, I think are the, uh, the biggest things that I learned working with Tim. Did Tim ever get on the court in terms of skill development or he was mostly yes. working with players in terms of athletic development? See, I think people, you know, generally just think of him as like a trainer with weights and strength and all that stuff. But he was he was a Division One basketball player, right, 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 right. And at the time, I think he might have been the, the the youngest Division One player in history. He was a very bright guy, graduated high school early. But no, he could get on the court and teach. Um, he, he, he people didn't understand that about what he really knew about basketball. I mean, forget the training and the weights and all that, which he was terrific at. Right. But he he knows basketball and he understands basketball and how to teach it. So he was very good at that as well. So what years have you been in the NBA for? What, what year did you start in the NBA? Because I want that I got, will lead me to my I, next question. 
I got hired in the summer of 2008 uh, okay. with the Bulls. And, okay. Uh, you know, yeah. Okay. So during that time, outside of the obvious, players are shooting less mid-range, players are shooting right. more threes. What have you seen change when it comes to NBA basketball? Uh, um. You know, the emphasis on the three-point shot, obviously, is huge. I think the uh, – and, and along with that becomes the not – the, not the lack of post-play, but, the, the, you know, the, the emphasis on, on, on low post-play and, you know, getting the ball inside, I think, is something that's really changed in the last 14 years uh, that I've been in the league. The, uh, the emergence of analytics. Yep. Uh, has, has, you know, when I, when I started with the Bulls, I don't even think we had an analytics guy. And now some teams have six or seven full-time analytics guys. Right. So I think the emphasis on that has changed. Uh, the three-point, but the biggest change is, is the pace of play, uh, the three-point shooting. Uh, you know, now they have, you know, points per possession and all that stuff. And, and the number of possessions has really increased. And, and the emphasis on, you know, perimeter skill. You know, you'll, you'll see almost every NBA game now is going to end with at least three guards on the court. And a lot of times four guards on the court at the end of the games. Um, so I, that's the biggest change that I've seen. Do you believe that the post-up is a low value shot for most players? No, no, I don't. I mean, okay. and, see, and I, and I think, and, and when I talk about posting up, I, I'm, I'm talking about any player that can post up. I, th I think, you know, regardless of the position, I think, you know, we've gone away from posting up players. Uh, for example, I, you know, I don't know why throughout the last eight to 10 years, LeBron James hasn't become a dominant post player. Uh, maybe yeah. it's because, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of pounding and wear and tear to get down in there. But uh, I think teams are, teams are, you know, glad to see, you know, players like him with, with, with the ability to overpower inside, settle for, for perimeter play. Um, so, you know, I, I think if you've got a really good post player, no matter what size, when I was with the Clippers, probably our best low post, throw it to the, throw it to him on the, on the mid post player was Chris Paul. Yeah. Uh, he, that, he had an excellent post game. Um, that so makes I, sense. I think we've kind of gone away from that. That makes sense. Like you mentioned LeBron James and Chris Paul. I think it's important for the guy you're going into the post with to be a great passer, right? So we could pick mm -hmm. up our defenses. Right. And, and, you know, that's, that's one of the things the Warriors are best at, you know, they throw the ball to Draymond with no intention on him ever trying to score in the post, you know, yeah. but it's with the intention of him being a playmaker out of the post. Now you got a guy like Jokic and he can do both. He, yeah. He's the best, he's the best at it now in the league at being able to play, make and score in the block. Yeah. And he can play make from anywhere, which is phenomenal. Yeah. 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 Like <laughs> from 94 feet, he can, they can play. Exactly. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to mention names here, but I've talked about some of the top NBA players not coming into the season in shape. I don't know how, you know, I don't know how they treat their off seasons, but you could tell they're obviously not in shape. How do NBA franchises or a better way to ask it is what's the best way for NBA franchises or NBA coaching staffs to handle this? You know, it, it, and that, that can be a problem because you can't force a player to work out in the summer. Uh, you can maybe have something in their contract, an incentive to, you know, a weight incentive or something. Uh, but you can't, you can't force them to, to get in shape 
you know, in the, in the summer and work out and things like that. Now, 95% of the league does. Yep. 95% of the players are very professional. They take their training and their fitness very serious. But you're going to find that 5% of players that uh, that don't take it serious and that they come into camp overweight. And there's really, as a, as a team, as an owner, as a front office, there's nothing you can do about it. I, you, you can't find them unless it's in their contract, you know, for a weight incentive, like I mentioned. But so that's that can be a problem. And, you know, there's there's two guys right now that come to mind. I won't mention their names that <laughs> I can think of three top 10 guys right now that come to mind. Yeah. To be honest. And one one of them's playing, but 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 he's to me 20 to 30 pounds overweight and he's going to get hurt. And the other one's not playing. Because I think, you know, the extra weight has led to uh, problems with other parts of his body. And, you know, it's a, Andrew, it's a professional thing. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a difference between, you know, uh, getting paid and being a pro. 100%. 100%. You know, getting paid just means, you, you know, you're getting paid as a professional. Being a pro means you take it serious and you're serious about your training and your conditioning. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you're doing right now. Like, even if you're putting up big numbers, it's what you could be and what you could be contributing to this team. You know, your potential of there's like top NBA players that aren't in shape, but that doesn't mean you don't get in shape because you're already a great player. You know, it's crazy. And and some, some guys, you know, they say, well, I'll play my way into shape, which, which is fine. And we've seen it happen, but they're so much more susceptible to injury. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah. a big risk. That's a big risk that they're taking. Um, so that's, you know, and, but like I said, it's, it's 95% of the league take, take their conditioning really seriously. And, and, you know, most guys will take, take a month off. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, by, you know, middle of July, if you're a playoff team, you know, beginning of July, middle of July, you're, you're pretty much back at it. So when I was younger, I was at basketball camp and I heard a coach say something that I would disagree with now. Um, he said, players are made in the summer and teams are made in the winter, but I think players are made all year round and teams are made all year round. Can you speak to the importance of in-season skill development? Yeah, you know, it, especially for the guys that aren't playing a lot, whether it be, you know, the last five guys on a college team or the last five guys on an NBA team, it, it's really important that they continue to, to have, you know, their skill development work. Um, and it's hard, you know, when you're not playing, you know, especially like at college, it's really hard because you don't have 10 assistants like they do in the NBA. You, you got three assistant coaches and their main job is, is to be recruiting and game planning and getting ready for the next opponent. And so there's really not a lot of skill development work that happens with college players during the season. Uh, in the NBA, it's different. You know, they've got <laughs> each team has, you know, seven or eight player development coaches that can work with players 10 through 15 daily. Now it gets yeah. monotonous, you know, and those guys, you know, could get bored and frustrated, but that's where, you know, the coaches need to be creative and inventive uh, with the things that they do with the players. So it's, you can't just abolish it during the season and say, you know, from November to April, we're not going to do any skill development. It's going to be all team stuff. And in the NBA, you know, you have the luxury of time. You know, that's all you have. You know, there's, there's 24 hours. You're going to sleep eight. You're going to, you know, you're going to do whatever, you know, three or four. And you've got nothing but time. If you're a serious player, and most guys at the NBA level are, you've got nothing but time to work on your game. Even if you're not playing, 
you know, there's two or three hours every day when you can work on skill development and work on your body. Yeah. And there's ways to work on skill development when you're not taxing your body, you know, just getting reps up. And I think that's so important during the season. How would you handle if you're working directly with the player, how would you handle how he works on his game in the off season compared to in season? Well, the, that's, you know, the off season's a totally different thing. And you gotta, you have to delineate where the player is in his career. If he's a first or second year player, his off season uh, is going to be centered around summer league for the most oh, right, part. Right, 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 right. And, right, and right. NBA player. Right. Um, that's true. You know, if, if they're if they're not a summer league player, say they're in their third year or whatever, then then their skill development plan is a little bit different. Um, but the young guys, the rookies and the first year guys, you know, their their summers kind of planned around summer league. And then once that's over, you could get into the, an individual workout plan with those guys. You know, you mentioned Chris Paul earlier, and it's great to see how great yeah. his his uh, his game yeah. has aged, right? What <laughs> what has been the evolution of his game been like from your standpoint? Because you've seen him years back, and and now yeah. watching what he does now, has he changed or tweaked anything over the years? Well, yeah, he has. Uh, you know, and going back with Chris, I remember I w- I was one of the coaches that they had this thing called the Jordan Flight School. Uh, Michael Jordan it out in Santa Barbara and you know he would bring in you know 20 of the top college kids in the country and we would work them out throughout the week <laughs> the NBA got you know got rid of that program once he became an owner because it kind of gave him an advantage but that's <laughs> when I first met Chris I don't know it was maybe 2002 2003 and he was a sophomore I think at Wake Forest and that's the first I'd been around him and the first thing that stood out is how competitive he was. I mean, we do all these little silly shooting drills and you know, competitive drills. And he was the most competitive guy that I've probably ever been around. Him and Joe Kim Noah. Um, but the evolution of Chris, you know, when we had him, uh, we thought that was his prime. You know, those five right, yeah. years, we figured out, okay, this is Chris's prime. And you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, he's, he's not aging well. He's, he's starting to get hurt a lot. Uh, but then I think something happened with Chris uh, concerning his diet that really helped him. Uh, he went plant-based uh, totally with his diet. He, he, every year he came in a little bit lighter and, you know, he really hasn't had a major injury in the last two years. Uh, so yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and the other thing about Chris is he, he wants to, he, you know, it, this may say sound crazy to you, but a lot of NBA players look at what Tom Brady's doing and they kind of want that. They kind of want to do that. Yeah. That I, know makes, LeBron, yeah. I know LeBron does. I mean, he, he, to me, LeBron wants to play until his son has a chance to play in the NBA longevity. Yeah. I mean, Chris wants to play as long as he can and guys are seeing what Tom Brady's doing now and with his body and his diet. And I think a lot of NBA guys have kind of emulated that and want to prolong their career, not only financially, but, you know, for, for their, um, for their legacy. So I think we're going to see more and more NBA guys who haven't had major, major injuries, um, you know, continue their career longer than normal. Yeah. I mean, the thought used to be that after 30, you start going downhill, but I think, yeah. you know, it's different now. There's more information and yeah. there's just, you know, what it <laughs> What is some load, what it, load management? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. If you never play and you're always recovering, you're going to play for longer. Right. <laughs> um, so what is, what is some low hanging fruit for you? Like to, um, 
advice that you would give to maybe players that are starting to age just to be able to play for longer? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, to me, the number one thing is their diet. And I'm not yeah. saying it has to be plant-based cause I'm not into that at all, but they've got to be very aware of their diet and, uh, and, and, you know, how they eat. And, and the second thing is how they sleep. Yeah. Uh, it's huge. And the third thing is, is how they train and recover. Uh, and if you, if you haven't suffered a major injury, I'm talking like a major ACL or an Achilles or, and even those now we're seeing guys come back from and continue to play. Um, I, I just had one. Those, I just had a surgery, Dave, not too long ago. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not fun, but you know, you got to get through it. It's a process. It's a process. Yeah. So I, th I think with all the, the information available now, but diet, sleep, and train and recovery are the three areas that, that, that can really elongate your career and, you know, you can make more money. I, I, I tell you, I didn't, I didn't see, I thought when we had Chris, um, you know, when he left us, I didn't see him playing this well, you know, two or three years later. I'm glad for him because I know how much he loves to play. But I, I think his diet and his ability to, to cut weight and keep his body trimmer has a lot to do with it. Dave, one thing you believe about players' skill development that others might think is crazy. Uh, <laughs> that others might think is crazy. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any real radical thoughts or ideas. Well, maybe um, the maybe the unradical is radical these days. You never know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, the most important thing, person to me, person and player development is the head coach, um, hmm. because and able to improve, uh, you have to get in games. Um, so you know there could be all the player development coaches, the assistant coaches, and everything, but if the head coach doesn't play you in games then it's hard, it's hard to develop and improve. Um, so he's the most important person. The second most important person is the player. You know, how badly does he want it? How, how much is he willing to sacrifice? And then the, the third group of people would be, you know, the coaches, the trainers, the, the weight guys, all, all those auxiliary people um, that I see. So I, it's not a radical thing, but I, I think in the priority list of how, what it takes for a player to improve, is getting into games uh, is number one. I really believe that. So yep. um, that, that's kind of my thought. Now, as far as the, the training itself and the skill development, you know, there's a million ways you can go and, and philosophies and things. Uh, everybody has a different, you know, idea. And that's why I, I like to go watch other guys. You know, in the summertime, I'll try to go and watch as many, you know, they call them trainers now, work with NBA guys to see what they're doing. Some of them are great. Some of them are, to me, are very average. Um, but uh, I well, always learn something. Would you, would you say some of them are detrimental to that player's game? I, I don't know if they're detrimental, but they're not. Uh, some of them are not, using not the doing anything Using, using the time the wisely. Yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, and a lot of people in that role have to understand that, you know, like I said before, 95%, 95% of the league is role players. Yeah, of course. Of course. You know, and, and, yeah. and keeping it simple and being yeah. able to dominate simple things and what's going to get them into a game, what's going to get them more minutes, what's going to get them that second contract. And it's usually not all the tricky stuff that those 5% are 
of the players can do. Yeah, I always talk about this. Like, if you're one of those players who's ball dominant and has all the tricky stuff, that's the hardest way to make the league. I mean, because there's just so many more spots for role players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, last thing before we get out of here, Dave. Uh, sure. You've been more than gracious with your time. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, one, piece of one piece of advice that you would give yourself, Dave, that was starting out as a ninth grade basketball coach from all the information you know now. Uh, that's, that's an easy one for me. And because I've been through it, uh, don't get married at such a young age. You, you're serious. <laughs> oh, I'm dead serious. And, and if you do get married at a young age and you want to pursue this basketball life, you know, your wife better understand exactly what it is she's getting into because it's not a normal life. You know, it's not a nine to five and, you know, we get, you know, a summer vacation and all that stuff. You know, young coaches have to, if they want to, if they want to move up in this profession, that's one piece of advice I always give them. And not saying, you know, that there's anything wrong with getting married and stuff, but if, if you do it too young or to the wrong person who doesn't understand, uh, that's going to create some problems for you. And we've, we've all seen it. Yeah, yeah. We, we know people who've been through it. And so, you know, to me, that's, a, that's, uh, that's an important thing for young coaches to understand. Yeah, I, I mean, you didn't I, expect that answer. Right? No, no, no. I didn't expect, that's, that's great. That's great. It's, it's always great hearing answers I wouldn't expect. But I would also say, like, if you're trying to be the greatest in the world in anything, it's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take yeah. a lot of effort. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and and if you, you know, if, if you've got a good support system around you, then it makes it you know so much easier. Uh, and if you don't, you know, there, there's going to be some problems and uh, you're, you're, it's not going to be as smooth as you would hope. Dave, great stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where can we find you on uh, social media or anywhere else? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I do that Twitter thing, but I only do one thing. I do a hoop of the day every morning. Okay. And I don't even know what my, what do they call it? Your, your handle? Is that what they call yeah, it? Yeah, you, you can call it a Twitter I don't handle. Even know it. Is that it what Twitter. it is? Let me find mine. I don't even know what it is. Oh, it's at Dave underscore severance. Great. And I, I, don't, I don't do, that's the only social media I do. So. Okay. Dave, th thanks so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court Podcast. Big shouts to Dave for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune in to Combo's Court if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating, a friendly comment, and punch down on the follow button. It would mean the world to me if you share this episode, share it with a friend, share it on social media, share it on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, share it on your IG stories and tag me on IG at 1-2-COMBO. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 3-2-7-COMBO. Out.